Hey, it's Cody Woodard, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this message encourages you and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. Hey, come on, who's thankful for a God who comes in? Well, hey, thank you for being here this morning. And we wanted you to know that um, this church is not about a building. This church is about a place where you can encounter the presence of God. Amen. I believe he's moving in this place today. Hey, I would love to, I would love to pray for you, if you will, and you're receiving what God has for you today. If you're open, will you just stretch your hand towards heaven as a sign of surrender? God, right now I lift up every single person in this room and under the sound of my voice watching online. And God, I just um, God, we just declare that we're open, that it's in our weakness, your power is made perfect. And so God, we we don't come today just to offer our own strength, but God, we come today empty so that you can pour in your spirit and so that it can pour out of our lives. And so God, I just pray that today as we open up your word, God, that you would transform our hearts. God, you say that your word is like a double-edged sword that pierces our heart, God. And I just know that my heart so desperately needs it. And so God, would you, would you eliminate distractions from this place today so that we can hear from you? God, we love you and we thank you. And in Jesus' mighty name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Hey, turn to the person next to you, say welcome to church. Hey, turn to your second neighbor, the one you didn't say hi to. I want you to look at them in their face and I want you to say neighbor. Come on, say neighbor. I've been waiting all week to sit next to you there we go amen well hey if i haven't had the opportunity to to meet you yet or to hang out with you my name is cody woodard i get the honor and privilege to serve as the lead pastor here and uh man just so grateful that you would spend some time with us make sure today as courtney mentioned to fill out that connect card especially if it's your first time we just have a gift to say uh, thank you you can drop that off at our tent outside they'll get a little information from you and we're not going to sign you up for christian mingle or anything like that farmers.com nothing uh we just want to get the chance to get to know you and um today we're kicking or i'm sorry we're not kicking off we're continuing um, a series that we started last week on Mother's Day called Winning the War in Your Mind. Now, whether you know it or not, life's greatest battles are not with your spouse. Somebody say amen. amen. Some of y'all don't believe that. Life's greatest battles are not about your money. They're not at your job. Life's greatest battles are won or lost in your mind. And what comes into your mind comes out of your life. And so your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And so what you think about will eventually come out. And it's important that you and I just understand that there is a real war going on in our lives. And here's what I believe. I believe with everything in me that no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what you will go through in the future, you do not have to live your life as a captive. You can live your life free in Jesus. You can win the war in your mind. Amen. So last week we took a look at a, a passage in 2 Corinthians 10 where a man named Paul wrote this encouraging, these words to us. And I want to revisit them for just a second as we, as we talk about this message today. Here's what it says, 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 3. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Somebody say power. power. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish 
arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. What's that mean? It means that you and I have the power of God to demolish, to, to destroy every single lie that is not in line with the word of God. Amen. And it says we demolish them and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Yeah. And so last week we talked about taking it captive. And, and the thing that I taught you, the way that we can start to win the war in our mind is that we oftentimes need to go back to what has happened to us and you have to identify the lie that you believed. And sometimes that's hard, but we have to go back and go, where, where did the lie begin? And so we, we identify the lie that the enemy has sold us and we replace it with God's truth. We don't replace it with a feeling. We don't replace it with what sounds good in culture. We don't replace it with Christian cliches that go on bumper stickers. What we do is, is we identify the lie, we replace it with the truth, and then we bind it up in the name of Jesus and send it back to hell where it came from. I know that sounds serious, but listen, life is a battlefield and the war is going on in your mind. And oftentimes the reason we lose the war is because we're never fighting it. And so this whole series really is, is us trying to help you and equip you and open up God's word to figure out how do I win the war that's going on in my mind? And so today what I want to do is I want us to look at the book of Philippians or the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And over the next four weeks, what we're going to do today, we're going to unpack Philippians 1. And next week, we're going to unpack Philippians 2. And guess what we're going to do in the third week? We're going to unpack Philippians 3. And then guess what we're going to do in the fourth week? We're going to unpack Philippians 4. And I want to, I want to invite you into something, though, uh, because I think it's important as we study the Word of God together. And you can read ahead if you'd like and take some notes on that and come ready and prepared for next week. But this Thursday morning at 7 a.m., we're opening up our church. Um, and every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Uh, for the foreseeable future for just a time of prayer and a time to come in and take communion. It'll be from about 7 to 7.30. We'll have some worship kind of going on. And so, hey, if it's, if it's early enough for you or maybe it's not too early and you can get here before you go to work or whatever, we'd love to invite you in on a Thursday. And, and here's why, because Paul opens up the, the letter of Philippians with this really powerful prayer. And it was his prayer for the church, and it's my prayer for you throughout this entire series. And so I want to I wanna go to Philippians chapter 1 really quick, and I just want to read verse 9 through 11 as a reminder of, like, this is the goal. And I hope it's the goal of your life, but it's the, it's the goal of this series. Here's what it says, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's our prayer, that your love would abound more and more, that your love would overflow, and that you would grow, and that you would be able to discern and understand what God's will is for your life, and that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness, not filled with fear, not filled with doubt, not filled with uncertainty, but filled with the fruit of righteousness so that you can experience the love and the joy and the peace and the patience, the kindness, the goodness and faithfulness and self-control that our God offers. Amen? So here's what I want to do. I want to um, spend some time today looking at verse 12 through 18. We're going to spend a little bit more time uh, digging into some other scriptures after that. But um, if you're ready for the word of God and you're ready to win the war in your mind, somebody shout, I'm ready. I'm ready. You need a second? Say, hold up. All right, I got you, bro. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. 
All right, you gotta, if you're not ready, just watch it on the screen. Here it goes. Uh, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. The very word of God. Amen. Amen. Hey, will you pray with me one more time? Father, thank you for your word. God, we ask that as we open it up, God, today, that you would speak and that you would move. God, it's through your power that we can be transformed. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Hey, if you're taking notes today, the title of the message is Flip the Script. Turn to your neighbor and say, Flip the Script. Flip the script, flip the script. And uh, I want to open up the book of Philippians today because it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. And I don't know if you're supposed to have favorite books of the Bible, kind of like you're not supposed to have favorite kids, but every parent knows you got that one. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. We love them all the same. Amen. Can I get an amen, parents? Y'all are like, no, I have favorites. I, Philippians really has been kind of my favorite book of the Bible. And I love it because it's such a beautiful a beautiful book where we see Paul winning the war in his mind. And I love it because Paul, when he writes the book of Philippians or the letter to the church, um, he's old now. He's got some of that senior swag. Well, he don't care what you think about him. Some of y'all got that senior swag, and I'm glad you're here. We just stop getting to the point where you really care about what everybody else has to say. And, and Paul has this, this swag to him. And what's interesting about the book of Philippians is that it was written when Paul was in prison, but scholars consider it the most happiest book in the Bible. And if you were to read through the book of Philippians, you would see the word joy or rejoice 13 different times in just a few pages. And, you know, for a long time, I thought that joy would, was the theme, like the overarching theme of the book of Philippians. And what I would argue is to say that it is a theme. But if you're, if you're taking notes and you have a Bible with you, you want to write it down in the margin to kind of filter your thoughts through as you read it. I really believe that the theme of Philippians is freedom because you can never really know real joy until you experience real freedom. And, and so Paul writes from this place of joy in the middle of a prison because what Paul knew is something that you and I need to know. What Paul knew was that victory wasn't determined by the absence of pain. Victory is determined by the presence of Jesus. Amen. And so you and I can walk in victory and it's not dependent upon what's going on around you. But you will never walk in victory if you live thinking like a victim. Like we'll never step into what God has for us unless we stand in the authority that he's given you in Christ. And so we can't walk in victory and think like a victim. And so God wants us to be free in our mind. And Paul may have been in chains, but his mind was free. And, and you may find yourself in a situation that's out of your control that you can't change, a circumstance you hate, that's unfavorable, that you didn't ask for. But you can walk in victory and you can win the war in your mind and you don't have to be a hostage to your circumstance. Through Christ, you can win the war in your mind. And I love what Paul says. Matter of fact, I love what he doesn't say. 
Because see, for many of us, we, if we were in Paul's situation locked in a Roman prison, we would say it a little bit different. So I'm gonna read to you what maybe what we would say if we were Paul. Verse 12, this is not a real version, by the way. Here's what it says. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me really sucks. In fact, I'm not wearing the Dream Team shirt no more. I'm not coming to church again because people are rude. God doesn't care, and this is stupid. Isn't that what we say? We're gonna pause there, Braden. But here's what he says. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, and then he stops, because he doesn't actually tell us what happened to him. He says, I want you to know what happened, but he doesn't tell us about the food. He doesn't tell us about how he's sleeping in prison. He doesn't tell us how he's getting treated. But he says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually, say actually, has actually served to advance the gospel. And so what he's saying is, is I know your assumption. I know what you think. I know that when you look at my situation and you see me in prison, I know that you think that I'm not okay. And he doesn't tell them what had happened to him because Paul made a choice. And it wasn't that he ignored what had happened to him. It's just that he wasn't gonna live there. Amen. Instead, what he does is he says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What actually has happened isn't what you think. And see, what they thought was that they wanted to know when Paul was going to get out of prison. Because Paul was crucial to the advancement of the gospel. And so they made this assumption and Paul goes, listen, I'm not going to go into all the details. Because you don't need to know the mess of my past because I'm not going to let it determine the mentality of my present. And so what, what he does, he's not just ignoring it and sweeping it under the rug. He just says, you know what? I'm not going to just focus, though, on what's happened to me, but instead I'm going to focus on what God's doing through me. Right. How much better would life look if we got that focus? And so often, y'all, we, we tend to focus. The natural inclination is that we focus on what's happened to us. And we would rather give the details about everything we went through or are going through or will go through that we're afraid to go through. And, and I'm not trying to minimize all that because the truth is we have all had things happen to us, right? Yeah. Everyone in here has a story. We all experienced COVID together last year and it affected all of us differently. It affected you financially, mentally, relationally, right? We've all been through some stuff and that's just the start of it. And what Paul does is he's learned how to take every thought captive and not allow the pain from his past to determine his present purpose. Because what he knows and what you and I need to know is that God's purpose is greater than your past. And that he can use your past. What has happened to you can actually serve to advance the gospel. And so... For many of us, it's the shift that we need to make in, in our minds. And what Paul did is something that I think we need to do because it's hard. It's so hard to really think godly thoughts and have faith in the middle of a situation or circumstance that you didn't ask for. It's hard. And so the reason for us that it, it, it gets hard is because everybody in here has what scientists or what researchers call a cognitive bias. 
And, and what a cognitive bias is, is it's a framework or a filter in which we make our decisions. So by definition, it is a mistake in reasoning based on past preferences or experiences. And so because all of us have different backgrounds and things have happened to us, we now view the lens and the circumstances that we've been through through that filter, through that framework. We have a cognitive bias. This is why um, two people can react completely different to the very same situation. So for instance, I could um, give some correctional feedback to two of my staff members. And I've done this before, by the way. And uh, I can say the exact same thing in the exact same tone over the exact same problem and offer the exact same solution. And one, because of their cognitive bias and what they've been through, whether it be from a leader or experience or past job, one could respond with like, I hate you. You don't love me no more. I quit. This place sucks. I'm out. And the other person can be like, man, thank you so much for your feedback. I've been trying to figure out like why I keep messing up. And that really helped me. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So the other thing is, is that like, let's give another, another example. Um, two people can experience a tragedy that affects them or that, they, that is exact same. So they could lose someone they love. Let's say they lose a brother and it's both of your brothers. You have the same relationship with them. And one person can put their middle finger to God and walk away. And the very same person, the next person with the very same issue can turn towards God and trust them in the pain. Why? Because we have different filters in which we view things. This has even been shown to how you relate to God. So if you grew up with a father, maybe, or even mother or grandfather, someone who raised you, and you experienced a lot of pain, if they were harsh, if they were rude, if you couldn't count on them, if they walked out, because of your past experience, you will have the tendency to view God through the same filter, that he's not present, that he's harsh, that he's judgmental, and that you can't trust him. On the other side, you could have had a really loving parent who was present physically and emotionally and affirmed you and celebrated you. And you tend to view God through that same lens. So when somebody says heavenly father, you have a picture and going, oh yeah, that's loving, that's kind. See how our cognitive bias is what they do? And so here, here's the, the thing we have to understand. It's not the facts that are different, it's the filter. And you can't always control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. You, you can control how you choose to view it, but you need to be aware of the cognitive biases that you have. That's why last week I told you, hey, it, it starts with us reflecting back and identifying the lie. And it's hard to do when you go back to that place of pain. And if you're not careful, reflection can be really good or really harmful. And reflection really it ends up in, in three different ways. Um, reflection can lead to resentment, where you reflect back and think about what happened to you, and it causes you to resent somebody. Um, reflection can lead to regret. Maybe it was a decision that you made. And, and see, regret is really just resentment turned inward. So resentment, let that sit in. Resentment is when I, I resent other people. Regret is when I take that resentment and I put it on myself. And so you live with regret and beat yourself up as you reflect. Now, the third type of, the other way reflection can end up is in resolutions. And as you reflect, 
you can resolve in your spirit, resolve in your mind that what happened to me, I'm gonna make sure that I don't continue to do it or that I don't let it define my life. And so one of the things that Paul did was he learned, he learned how to reframe his situation. Now he may have not had the terminology we have today, but what Paul was so good at and what's so key in learning how to win the war in your mind is you gotta learn how to reframe what you see and how you see it. And so reframing is when we take a problem and we create a different way of looking at that situation, looking at that person or looking at that problem by changing its meaning. And so um, let me think of night. Okay, so tomorrow, let's say if I go, hey, how's your day gonna be on Monday? The answer to the question really depends on how you frame it. If you go into Monday thinking that my job sucks, I hate life, I, I get paid like crap, I don't like anybody I work with, your Monday tomorrow is probably gonna be bad. But if you choose to view it through a different frame and go, you know, I know a lot of people who lost their job. I'm just thankful I have a job. I can put food on the table and these people might get on my nerves, but we're gonna work hard today and get the job done. Right, it's, it's, it's not the facts that are different. It's all about how you frame it. Now, this isn't easy though. I mean, this takes practice, it takes work. Next week, we're gonna talk a little bit about neural pathways and how our brains are wired. But for today, if you're wanting to reframe, if you're wanting to start viewing what you're going through or what you will go through in a different way, or maybe you need to reflect in such a way where you've been holding resentment and regret and you wanna make it resolutions. There's a couple of things that I'm just gonna be practical with to give you to do and maybe to consider that I think will be helpful. And the first one is if you're having a really hard time seeing God in your situation, one of the things you can do is you can thank him for what didn't happen. Anybody thankful for what didn't happen? There's a story that Pastor Craig tells in his book, and he tells it, and he, he talks about how this college girl, uh, she calls up her parents and says, hey, mom, dad, I'm flying home. I got to, school's over this, this semester, and I'm flying home, and I got to sit down. I got to talk with you. And, um, and so she goes in the door. She's hurried, and she goes, mom, dad, I really, I need you to sit down. I got a serious conversation that I have to have. And she said, I want you to know that a couple months ago, I went out, I got drunk, I got high, and I hooked up with this random stranger at the bar and I got pregnant and now I'm pregnant with triplets. And uh, the problem is, is that he's actually on probation and so we can't get a job right now. So when he gets out of rehab, he's gonna get a job, but until then he's gonna live with me. And I was wondering if you could help pay my rent because he can't get a job yet. And that's my news. And the mom and dad just weep. And they're like, this was not the plan I had for you. And she said, I gotta tell you one more thing. None of that was true. I actually just came to tell you I got a D in chemistry. Aren't you glad that that didn't happen? <laughs> Sometimes you just got to thank God for what didn't happen. Amen. Right? Like all the teenagers are like, yes. <laughs> Monday morning, I was flying out to, uh, to Montana and I had the honor and privilege to um, be hosted by uh, this place called Refuge. I'm rocking their merch today. Uh, but Compassion International paid for about 10 pastors in our network to go and to get rest. And how many of you know that like in order to be a healthy church, you need healthy leadership? And so for me, like rest is really important. And so one, say thank you to you for entrusting me to be your pastor. But two, I'm just so grateful um, that there's places like Refuge that give pastors and leaders and people just an opportunity to unwind and to rest and to fly fish every day and catch some trout. It was amazing. All right, you'll hear more about it next week. Um, but on Monday, my flight got delayed. 
and uh, from Nashville, and I was flying to Salt Lake City, and uh, my flight gets delayed, and so it caused me to miss my connecting flight to Billings, Montana, and I'm, I'm stressed out, I'm worried, I'm watching the clock, and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to catch this flight, and I get off, and I run to the gate, and I'm like, hey, I'm on this flight to Billings, and she says, sir, it left 20 minutes ago, and I was like, oh my gosh, when's the next flight, and she's like, six hours, I'm like, great, anybody, anybody thankful for airports, and I'm like, what am I going to do? for six hours at the airport. And I was frustrated. I was mad. I was like, you gotta be freaking kidding me. So I called Jessica and I'm like, babe, she's like, what's wrong? I was like, they missed my flight and the airport was late. And you know, what are the chances? She's like, they didn't make you a connecting flight. I was like, no. And so I'm trying to not get frustrated. And she's like, you know what you should do? You should go to the gym. And she's like, you should catch an Uber and go to the gym. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do that. I got six hours, why not? So I go to the gym, I'm working out and uh, the typical meathead thing to do when you're supposed to be at an airport. And, uh, and while I was there, I thought about something. The guy who cuts my hair, his name is Chance. Uh, he's got a barbershop in Hendersonville and Gallatin. Men, if you're looking for somebody to cut your hair, and it's really good, you should go to him. There's your plug. Um, but Chance is from Salt Lake City. So while I'm at the gym, I thought, you know what? I wonder if by chance, Chance is in Salt Lake City. So I shoot him a text, and I'm like, hey, bro, uh, I'm in Salt Lake City. Would you happen to be here? He said, actually, I am. I was like, let's go get some food then, bro. And we went and got some food for two or three hours. And I'm just thankful that that flight did get delayed because I've been trying to figure out how to get time with my, with my friend for a long time. We've been busy and we finally got to sit down and have lunch and talk for three hours. And it was in Salt Lake City of all places. <laughs> Anybody thankful for what didn't happen? So it's one way that you can, you can help pre-frame, you can help frame the situation, the other thing you can do is you can, you can pre-frame it. And, and what I mean is you can determine the frame or the filter before your day even starts. And you can decide right now, today, how your Monday will probably go. Right. You can go, you know what, tomorrow, I know that that person is rude to me and she's mean and she's backstabbing and she's a gossip and I don't like her. I wish she'd get fired. I know that you got some people that work like that with you. If you brought your coworker, don't look at them. And you can choose that, and that's okay, but it's probably going to ruin your day. Or you can know that maybe the reason they're, 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 they're rude to you is because hurting people hurt people, and maybe there's something going on beneath the surface you're unaware of. And so what would happen if you actually decided, you know what, when they start being rude to me, I'm going to assume the best about them, and I'm going to begin praying for them. You do know that praying for somebody makes them hard to hate. Not Southern prayer, not like, I'm going to pray for you. Not that kind of prayer. <laughs> like, actually pray for people. It's hard to hate them. What would happen if you actually started praying for people? And you go, God, help me love them the way that you love them. Help me see them as someone created in your image and not someone who wasn't because that's not true. So you can pre-frame your day. You can think about your mind. You can go, I'm going to choose to believe the best. I'm going to choose to focus on who God says they are, not just how they behave. Aren't you thankful that people, or that, I should say this, aren't you thankful that God doesn't determine who you are by how you behave? Don't you think your identity is in him and not in your performance? So let's stop putting people's identity on their performance. And so here's the last thing you can do. You can, you can look for the goodness of God. You can look for the goodness of God. Because here's the thing. If you want to look for the bad, you will find bad. If you want to be critical, you can pick apart any person, any organization, any church. I have people all the time like, well, I don't like the way you do that here. 
I'm like, well, hang around long enough, we'll probably change it. I don't care. But you can pick apart anything. And so if you want to live your life negative, you want to view people with a bad lens, you want to be critical like the majority of the world does, go for it. Or you can look for the goodness of God and believe the best in people and go, you know what? I'm going to assume the best about them. And God, I want to see how you're working in this situation. And here's what I found out. If you look for the goodness of God, you'll find it. If you look for God to move, you will find where he's moving. Let me give you an example. I graduated from the University of Memphis and uh, loved the University of Memphis. But when I tell people that and I tell them I lived in Memphis for five years, many people um, will go, wow, that's a rough city. Aren't they like in the top three every year for murder and for violent crime? And I'm like, mm-hmm. man, isn't it filled with gangs? Isn't it filled with poverty? Weren't you nervous? Yeah. Weren't you, weren't you scared? Like, I would never live there. Why would, you, why would you live there? There's racism and there's segregation and all kinds. Like, that's a horrible place. Is that true? Maybe. Is there truth in it? Sure. But I just choose not to view it through that lens. Because when I think about Memphis, I view it through the framework of that that was the place that God saved my life, gave me community, helped me discover my purpose, and gave me, gave me something to do with what he has put inside of me. It was the place for me where I go, you know what? Like, yeah, it may have been all of that. Like, but, but it may be, there may be a lot of racism that exists, but you know what I'm gonna choose? I'm gonna choose to view it through the framework that I belong to a church with a thousand something people whose lead pastor was black, whose teaching pastor was white, and whose worship leader was Hispanic, and they didn't allow their political preference or their comfort get in the way of what God wanted to do. Oh, if our world would go there. Like, I'm, just, I'm not gonna frame it through that. What I'm gonna see is I wanted to see a move of God. And so when I started looking for a move of God, I found the place where God was moving. And so it's like, I, I saw guys that were in gangs and I had the choice to look at them and go, you ain't nothing but a thug and you in a gang and all that. That's, that's fine. Some people want to view it that way. Or I could look at them and go, you know, you don't have someone influencing you in the right way. You don't have a big brother. You don't have a dad. So instead of viewing them like this, and putting the them word on it, I chose, they're made in the image of God, just like me. God loves them the same way he loves me. Somebody invested in me, so why not I just choose to invest in them? Do you see how this works? And so often, y'all, we don't, we don't do this. And what Paul does is he learns how to have the biblical framework. And so often we view God through our situation. And we, are, we allow our situation to determine who God is rather than letting God determine what our situation is. And so Paul says, listen, I want you to know that what's happened to me, I know what you think. I know you think that I'm chained to these guards, but actually these guards are chained to me. So while I'm here, I might as well preach the gospel. And so here's my prayer for you. Like you may not be able to get out of the situation you're in, but if God doesn't remove the chains, maybe we should pray for God to use the chains. Now, while I'm here, I might as well make a difference. And so instead of focusing on what happened to me, I'm gonna go, God, what do you wanna do through me? Like, what would happen in your prayer life if you decided to stop asking God to get you out of the situation? Maybe what God wants from you is for you to let him in the situation. Like, what if we shifted our mindset 
and said, God, this isn't fun. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be here. But I know, like Paul knew, he couldn't get out. I know I can't change it. So would you change me? And would you use it? And see, we can win the war in our mind. And, and watch what Paul says. I love it. He says, uh, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I don't know what you've been through, but I promise you God can use it. Like, this is what ministered to me in the darkest times of my life. When we planted a church and four months in, as people are just starting to get involved, as people are just saying they're going to call renovation home, they're just starting to serve, they're just starting to give. It's just as soon as we got things going, I had a picture in my mind that it would look like this all the time. And then one Sunday I found myself preaching to an empty room with a camera. And that's when I studied the book of Philippians. And I said, God, if Paul can find joy in the prison, I can find joy in the pandemic. And so while I'm here, would you use it? And he says, because of my chains, because of my pain, because of what I went through, now people actually know God and proclaim him with confidence. Did you know that if that pandemic wouldn't have happened, we wouldn't have been given money by multiple churches in our country and we wouldn't be able to afford to have church online the way we did. And the majority of you found our church through watching it online. And now you have a church home. Now you know Jesus. Now you have a community. Now you're living out your purpose. And it was because of the chains. Why? Because God still used it. And I'm just telling you, God will still, he'll still use your chains. So let's keep reading. I love this. It's so powerful. Is this a good word? Here's what he says. It's true. That some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. This is the mindset. Paul says, I'm not a hostage. I know you think I'm a hostage. I know you think I'm chained to them, but I'm not chained to them. I know why I was put here. I know why I was here. I was put here on purpose. And God's purpose for my life is greater than this prison. And you, somebody needs to hear that. Whether right now you're going through a tough relationship and you're on the brink of divorce. Let me, I didn't say this first service. Would you keep going? Our God has the power to resurrect and restore anything. Now, I'm not saying there's not situations where you need to get out. But what I am saying is that would you keep going? Because the test that you endure oftentimes becomes the testimony you'll tell. And Revelation tells us that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. 
And you don't know right now who's sitting next to you in this room that needs a testimony of somebody who chose to not walk out, chose to stick, in the, stick there, push through it, and watch what God would do in the middle of it. And so the test you endure becomes the testimony you'll tell. Paul says, I'm not a hostage. I was put here on purpose. You know you're put where you are on purpose. And so here's what I, uh, here's what I want to do is, is I don't, I've kind of given you a couple practical things, but great leaders, this is one of the things I've learned and I tell our team a lot, is a great leader won't just tell you what to do. A great leader will teach you how to think. And when you watch the ministry of Jesus, his disciples all the time would ask him, what do you want me to do? And Jesus would always respond with a question. And so sometimes the outcome in your life that you don't like, one of the easiest ways is to change the outcome, is to change the question. Because if you ask the question the wrong way, most of the time, you will get the wrong result. And, and so let me just give you, I didn't do this last, let me just give you a couple of things that we tend to say, and that these thoughts are running around in your head all the time, that you might be asking yourself, that's the wrong question. Um, the first one that comes to mind is, what's wrong with me? Horrible question. The moment you ask that question, Satan will open up a book and remind you of every single thing that's wrong with you. And you will find yourself in a downward spiral all because you asked the question, what's wrong with me? Here's the good news. No matter what the answer is to that question, it doesn't define your life. God defines your life and came to earth to show you how much he loves you, died on the cross so that you can have a new identity in him. So you just need to flip the question. You gotta flip the script. And I'm not gonna ask the wrong question. And so one of the things that Paul didn't ask was who put me here? Because that can lead to resentment. And a lot of times the reason we're angry with the people is because we're, we're focusing so much on the who and how we got here and it's their fault. And maybe they did. But Paul, he says, I was put here for the gospel. So here's the better question that I think you and I should ask. What am I put here for? Not who was I put here by? But what am I put here for? Because the answer to that question will reveal what you think your purpose is. And I could tell you what I think your purpose is. And at the end of the day, it is to glorify God. But you've each been given a unique calling with unique giftings and unique passions and unique skills. And so what you do in life and what I do in life may look completely different. And so I just want us to ask the question when we're in the prison, when we're in the situation, what am I put here for? And sometimes you may not know the answer, but that's why God has already spoken. And so often we ask the wrong question and we get caught up on the why. Anybody ever been caught up on the why before? Where you're like, why, why, why? That's okay. I'm not saying it's a bad question, but did you know that just because you don't know the why doesn't mean you can't trust God with the what? 
You may not know the why, but God always has a what behind the why, even when you don't see it. So you don't have to understand the why to trust him with the what. You can go, God, I don't know why, but I know what you've spoken, and I know that it's true, so I'm going to choose to filter this through your goodness rather than my, my past experience. Are you tracking with me? So here's the question. It's, what are you put here for? I can tell you that you were put at your job for more than just making money. I can tell you that you're put in your family for more than just raising some kids. You're put there for something greater than that. You, you have a purpose that is far bigger. Um, how do I want to say this? God's purpose for you is greater than man's position to you. And so often we get caught up and think that our purpose in life is tied to a position at work. What? God's purpose for you is more than just a position at work. God gives authority, man gives titles. You're, you're not limited to what somebody else says that you can do at a job. God has called you there to do the things that ain't on paper. Yeah, you work nine to five, but you were put there to be a light in the dark world. You were put there to be a peaceful spirit when crap hits the fan. You were put there to let people know that when everyone else is competitive and hateful, that you're actually for them and you want them to succeed. Can you imagine what, it would, ha what would happen in your life? Paul says, I'm not put here just to get in prison and hang out and die. No, 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 I'm put here for the gospel. This church wasn't just put here to fill a building. Are you kidding me? We were put here to reach a city who doesn't know God. You wanna know why we're here? We are here because we believe that Jesus Christ can change anybody. Amen. And we're gonna do everything we can to scream from the top of our lungs that at this church, everybody's welcome because with Jesus, everyone is welcome at the table. Then he asks this next question, I love it. He says, ah, some do it for this, some do it for that. Some say this, some say that. Mm. Verse 18, but what does it matter? <laughs> Can you imagine if you asked that question? You know how much your anxiety would come down? You know how much better you'd sleep at night? What does it matter? Then he says this, the important thing is, and what you put after that will determine your joy and how you live. What does it matter? The important thing is blank. Whatever you put there, if, if you're not getting the outcome you want, if you're not experiencing the joy God has for you, it's because you're putting something there that isn't the important thing. And Paul says, the important thing is, whether from false motive or true, that Christ is preached. That's the important thing, that what I'm doing here is that people would come to know God. And listen, I don't care what you do, but your purpose is to glorify God and give Him praise with your life. That's what you're put here for, and that's what matters most. Then he begins to read, and he, he keeps on and he says, um, he says, if I'm gonna go on living, oh no, let me back up, let me back up, this is too good. Verse 18 through 26. Here's what I want to do. Um, I want to read this passage. There's nine verses. And I want you to count with me out loud 
I want you to say will, okay? So I want us to watch how Paul begins to anticipate what God is gonna do despite being in prison. So we're gonna read this passage and every time you hear the word will, I want you to hold up a hand and count with me, okay? Here's what we're gonna do. It says, and because of this, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, that's six. Yet what shall, some translations say will, so we're gonna count it. What shall I choose, that's seven. I do not know, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain eight and I will continue nine with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Nine times, nine verses, one paragraph. I just, I just want us to anticipate that God is bigger than what you're going through. And Philippians 1, 6 tells us that he is faithful to finish what he started. He hasn't given up on you, so don't give up on him. So the first question was, what am I here for? The second one is, what does it matter? Identify what's important. The, the third one is, what does it mean? He says, if I'm gonna be on, if I'm gonna stay here, it means fruitful labor for me. What does it mean? It's a great question to ask yourself. What does it mean to go through this? And you don't get your answer from Facebook or Instagram or what the world says. God has already spoken and he is not a God of confusion. So if you wanna know what it means, open up his word and let him speak to your heart. What does it mean? And then he says this, what shall I choose? That's the fourth one, little King James on it. What shall I choose? What am I here for? What does it matter? What does it mean? And what shall I choose? Do you know what I love? God gives you the choice. You're not a robot. He gives you choice. And that doesn't mean that God's not in control. This is where people get their theology all messed up. And I'm not even talking salvation here. I'm just talking practical life. Um, God is in control. He's sovereign. But that doesn't mean God always takes control. Are you tracking with me? God will not stop you from eating a pint of ice cream out the freezer. That's your choice. He may not want you to. Could he? Sure. He's in control, but he doesn't always take control. And so you and I got to decide today, right here, right now, am I going to allow the lies of the enemy to lock me up in a prison with the key that he doesn't even have the authority to hold because Jesus went to hell and robbed him of the power and the grave. So, you got to choose. Am I going to choose Christ to live as Christ and to die as gain? What shall I choose? He says, I don't know. And he says, but I desire to go and be with God, which is better by far. How many know heaven is better by far? He says, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So he says, I, 
Has it crossed my mind to just leave this earth and go to heaven? Yep. But it is more necessary for you, for your sake, that I remain here because the test you endure determines the testimony you tell. Keep going. Don't give up. God's working in your life. He's moving in your life. And then I want to end with this. And it says, but whatever happens, Paul goes, whatever, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Today, you got to flip the script. You got to flip the script and allow God to change the way that you think and see the situation. So right now, I want to pray for you. And if you will, would you stand with me? And I want to give you the opportunity to answer that last question. What shall I choose? What shall I choose? What are you going to choose? To do it your way or God's way? To do what's comfortable or to do what Christ would do? Today, you can win the war in your mind. Let's trust Him. So that's the right question. So right now, I want to pray for you. Father, thank you so much for everybody in this room. God, thank you for moving today. God, your spirit has fallen in this place. God, I know that lives are being transformed. Perspectives are being shifted. God, you are, you are transforming the way people think right now in our presence. And God, would they never believe the lie that the enemy has sold them, but that they would cling to your truth and know that your purpose for their life is greater than a position, than a prison, than a circumstance. God, it's not just about what happened to us, but God, we believe today that you wanna do something through us. So today, God, we choose you to live as Christ. We give you our lives, we give you our hearts. And right now, I wanna pray for those of you who have never made that decision to choose Jesus because he chose you, because he first loved, you now have the ability to love. And so right now, I would love for all of us to pray this out loud for the benefit of those who are choosing Jesus today for the very first time. Will you say this with me, church? Say, God, I love you. Thank you for choosing me. Today, I choose you. I believe you died on the cross for me. For me, I believe by the power of your blood that I am forgiven and free. If you prayed that prayer just then for the first time, and today you choose Jesus, right now I would love for you while every head is still bowed, would you just lift up your hand? I'm gonna call you out. Come on, there's hands lifted in this room. Um, right down here, if you would just keep them up. And what's gonna happen is our team is gonna come and put a card in your hand. And you can just take that card to our lobby. We just have a gift for you. We have a Bible for you. We wanna help you take your next step. And uh, right down here. And um, we can't wait to see what God does in and through your life. Let me pray one more time and we'll be dismissed. God, we love you so much. We thank you for moving today. Thank you for transforming and changing us by your gospel, by your power. We love you so much. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. Hey, put your hands together for everybody who made that decision today. Welcome home, welcome home, welcome home. Thank you so much for listening to the message today. If it encouraged you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email to stories at renovation.church. And if you'd like to partner with us financially and help us continue to reach people all over the world, you can do that by going to our website, renovation.church give. Have a blessed day.